Hello and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 97 for the week of November 2nd, 2020. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben. Hey Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we'll be distracting ourselves from, I'm gesturing wildly at the universe right now. (laughs) How's it going, Ben? (laughs) It's a beautiful Tuesday here in the realm of the program, Mike, and nothing is happening in America. (laughs) I follow a lot of international people on Twitter, and they have just as much anxiety Mm-hmm. built up, everyone's uh, real as, nervous right now yeah everyone is looking for things to do with their hands yeah yeah what do i do with my hands mike sob into them that's what i'm doing now oh. <laughs> yeah i mean like the nice thing was at least like with halloween i could put my hands towards quietly dismantling two toy glockenspiels so i could make like a full mr music costume mm-hmm which was an awesome costume, by the way. <laughs> yes, I, ho- I, I hope to let it leave my apartment in 2021. Yay. <laughs> Things are a little stressed this week, but the show must but go But if on, nothing else, you know? there's Eurovision news. Yeah, there's Eurovision yeah. news. There is a ton of Eurovision news. But before we get to that, we wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping stuff. Uh, we have a new email address. Ooh. We just kind of wanted to consolidate things on our end. And uh, you can now reach us at EuroWhatPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, your what podcast is all one word. We would love for you to test out that email address with an ask us anything. Uh, we are approaching episode 100 and yeah, we just want to answer fan questions, listener questions. We would love to hear from you. You can also uh, hit us up on our Twitter at Euro what, whatever's easiest for you. And uh, yeah, that episode should be dropping uh, end of December. Yeah, I guess it is also our year end episode. Fun thing for the end of the year. Ask us questions. Please send us questions. Yes. Yes. And also if there any other episode ideas or anything about the podcast you can reach us at eurowhatpodcast at gmail.com i think that's it for the housekeeping so let's get on to the news 41 countries have confirmed for eurovision next year and it's everybody from the 2020 contest yay yay yeah, uh, no new countries, which is unfortunate, but not a big surprise since I think everybody's kind of adopting a <laughs> everybody, Everybody's busy for some reason. Yeah. Doesn't seem like the best year to be like, hey, it's our debut performance. So um, yeah, that, that won't be happening. But yeah, it should be an interesting selection season. Well, yeah, like it's, it's weird because there are obviously 41 songs to be decided mm-hmm. but we know 19 of the artists already that's so many artists i know uh yeah and it kind of throws things for a loop just in terms of just like well is there going to be anything to talk about during selection season but everyone will be deciding on march 6th <laughs> <laughs> yeah New joke, yeah but... yeah and actually the last artist to be confirmed at this point is iceland dothy's coming back yay yay <laughs> dothy is back I've had hunches and I didn't really want to act on them because anything can happen. Everybody's busy this year. Everybody's focusing on COVID, which they should be doing. It's about the time of year that Iceland normally is like, thank you for your submissions to Song of a Captain. Mm-hmm. We have selected our finalists. We will not tell you who they are, but we have selected them. And they hadn't done that this year. Astute people online noticed that, yes, Dothy had touring dates, but they weren't in May. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about Dothy. I'm slightly concerned because the last time Iceland entirely selected, it was Selma uh, in 2005, which is great because she represented in 1999. They came in second. But If I Had Your Love did not qualify. 
Yeah. I remain optimistic because I feel like Dothy has brought his A game both of the times he has come to Song of the Captain in mm-hmm. the past. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. In listening to various interviews with him, he had a whole vision for the performance, and then he wrote the song around that. It sounds like that's what he's doing again. I'm just excited that, that Dothy and the whole Gagnamathni crew gets to have the journey. I think it's also kind of weird because like, even though there was no Eurovision this year, it's Think About Things really does feel like it is on this it coronation feels like the unofficial tour. winner. Yeah, yeah, because it just keeps popping up everywhere. It was a dance routine on the first week of the UK Strictly Come Dancing, which was kind well, of and not weird. just that. Like yeah. they did a whole promo for the show mm-hmm. where they were recreating the video. Yeah, and one one of the YouTube comments was, "What is this?" <laughs> so it's like <laughs> not a, not a Eurovision fan, I suppose. How is how is the rock that you are living under, sir or madam? Yeah, yeah. It was used as a performance on Belgium's version of the Masked Singer to kind of tie it into our last episode. And there was also speculation that it may be Loic from 2015, <laughs> who was the deep sea diver. I think that was what that costume was. But yes, again, Eurovision Masked Singer, flat circle, Venn diagram. All of it. So. <laughs> this, is, this is the new this is the new aftermarket for the program in terms of other returning artists uh sunit on schedule november as soon as it hit <laughs> midnight like, on november 1st just like saturday 7 p.m mm-hmm. a new video emerged yes uh it, it rose like a phoenix out of a swimming pool because it was rise like a phoenix with sunit topless in a swimming pool <laughs> topless uh, yeah wearing these like metallic wings that looked kind of cool and then also what I originally thought was a Ron Swanson mustache, but... I, I mean, in fairness, I did need to be explicitly told at the end of the video that this was a Freddie Mercury tribute. Yes, which really should have been apparent since it had the We Will Rock You stomp stomp clap thing at the beginning of the video. I didn't even notice that. I'm just yeah. like, oh, yeah. you know what? It's like the... But it's like the FedEx arrow and that now that I have seen it, mm-hmm. I cannot unsee it. Yeah, it, it's working in layers. My my grand unified theory is still just, again, we came up with a bunch of ideas, mm-hmm. and we put them in a bingo cage, and we give it a spin each month, Yeah, and, and this month, the theme was also Ed Hardy and or tattoos. Mm, yeah. Like, this interpretation, it was fine. I think Rise Like a Phoenix might be a little bit more idiosyncratic than... Yes. After a few months of performances that felt like... They're, that felt like they were doing like a full reinterpretation of the song. I feel like you can't really reinterpret it. Mm-hmm. Like you need to just do a straightforward rendition of it. And that's fine. Yeah. And I, I feel like this was straightforward enough, but mm-hmm. it's still, it just doesn't have the resonance. Cause I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what Sunit is rising like a Phoenix from. You know, it, it, it's mm-hmm. not to be all like Randy Jackson about it, but just being like, yeah, you got to make the song your own, man. So <laughs> <laughs> I expected that to go into that's a no from me dog direction. Yeah. Like this was this was a video that I watched with my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's fine. Of all of the reinterpretations, it was fairly straightforward and could have also just been a time constraint issue because it did feel a, mm-hmm. a little rushed. Not as much going on as with some of the other videos particularly like with the video effects and all of that and we'll see what comes out december 1st happy travels sunit in your freaky trip to rotterdam elsewhere so many processes are figuring themselves out mike yes and if there's one thing we love on this program it is logistical details mm-hmm. lithuania is starting january 16th we have details of Pabanum is now series two Woo-hoo. 
It's going to be, I, I'm, I am pumped. I'm so ready for more bottoms now. It's the same general format, but we'll p potentially have fewer acts. What this means is that there will be a minimum of 20 and a max of 36. So, okay. Yeah. I have to wonder, part of it is we don't want it to go back to the marathon days where it's just like, oh, well, 80 people submitted like, songs. So we're going news. to have 80 <laughs> entries. And... Great news. We have 80 songs. And next week we will have 92. Mm hmm. Yeah, so I like that they're setting themselves up for success. And I mean, even if it is just the minimum of 20, it could be a semifinal format kind of similar to what Norway is doing, where mm -hmm. it would be like five songs per week and one song advances. Or they could have the maximum 36 and have it be the like cutting the field in half each week uh, format that they used last year. So they've got a lot of options and they seem really dead set on making this process work again. I don't mind the cutting cutting the field in half just because mm. you got to see you got to see how songs start out one way and go on a journey mm -hmm. in terms of performance of of teams trying things out yes. and figuring out what works and what doesn't work. Yep. Yeah, and the Roop uh, do have a fast pass to the final, but they may also perform during the article I read was a little unclear if they're going to perform during each heat or be like plugged into individual heats maybe to even out the field if there's like an, a five song week one week and a six song field another week uh let's trying to get some balance to the show but their first performance won't be at the final is the point so an interesting element to add to the mix and they're also focusing on songwriting uh this year which i think was also a focus last year or at least it felt like that where they also are making it very clear once again that performers may only be paired with one song they're not going to have the monica, monica maria, maria. yeah <laughs> If, one performer, one song. Yeah, yeah. If anything, she's getting a rule named after her, so that's nice. Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> the Monica Maria. Yes, it's a, it's a legacy. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> Croatia is still figuring out the details for Dora, but a lot of it seems to be uh, set up. They're going to have fourteen acts this year instead of a sixteen that they've had the last couple of years. And they're limiting the number of people on stage to five, uh, even though six is what's allowed at Eurovision. And they're also allowing pre-recorded backing vocals to be in line with what the new ESC rule is allowing in, in terms of backup vocals. I think a lot of these changes have to do with COVID precautions and uh, social distancing and that sort of thing. But I like that this process is being explicit about like well eurovision's changing the rules let's use the eurovision rules to exactly is, make is selection. let's is if you are presenting your song present it like it's going to be on the stage mm -hmm. uh they're also opening up their language rule which i i didn't realize that th there was a language rule in play previously entries were limited to the languages of croatian english french italian or german now you can do whatever you want so i don't know maybe thomas jason will want to do a swedish entry for dora I kind of hope not. Uh, <laughs> like I, mm -hmm. I like what Croatia's been putting out, so uh, I, I don't know if they need that uh, that sort of influence. But someone in Croatia who only writes songs in constructed languages got very excited. Ooh, now I'm very excited. Uh <laughs> it's, it's it's been a while since we've had a Conlang song. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we should find out more details as uh, the event gets closer. And right now it is uh, scheduled for February 13th. So uh, mark your calendars. Possibly in pencil. Yes. I'm, I'm not sure if that date is set in stone yet. So At this point, what are events? What is a calendar? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Finland and UMK has selected seven artists, which is up one from last year. Uh, the artist will be revealed in January, and there is no word on if Axel has submitted anything. Uh, again, we are marking things in pencil. 
but that is scheduled for February 20th. So maybe we won't have everybody on March 6th, Mike. That would be nice. Although uh, looking at the calendar, middle of February is starting to pack up, but that's usually when a Super Saturday creeps in. So yeah, that's a a good time for a Super Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But you know, y'all, you can spread it out, particularly since there's not as much selection competition this year. Just just a thought. And then uh, Denmark released details for their Melody Grand Prix. Uh, they, will, they will be one of the ones on March 6th, and they are making some major changes from last year's show. It's going to be in studio. It won't be the giant empty arena like last year's kind of creepy final. It's going to be eight contestants instead of 10. Again, it's just going to be something that's going to have to adapt and adjust based on whatever restrictions are in place for everybody's safety. There wasn't any indication if they're going to do the same radio airplay pre-selection thing that they did this year, which I thought was a really cool idea, but... Yeah, I, I like the idea of that, but maybe not the most important thing at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Calendar's starting to fill up. I'm very excited about that. So <laughs> It's nice to be excited about events again. Yeah, yeah. One thing to get excited about that is coming up very soon is the ESC 250. Voting for that begins on Monday. If you're not familiar with the ESC 250, it's a fan vote of your favorite Eurovision songs from the entire Eurovision catalog. You're able to submit a ballot with your 10 favorite songs. All of the votes will be tabulated and presented as a radio countdown on ESC Radio on New Year's Eve. And even though the 2020 songs did not compete technically, they are part of uh, this year's ballot. It'll be interesting to see how the 2020 songs fit into the overall lineup and also how older songs fit into the lineup yes, particularly is, with Eurovision again that I was that I'm most curious about is what has Eurovision again unearthed and and put back into the Euro fandom's mm-hmm. focus I hope to see movement for for Sufi <laughs> I expect to see movement for Sufi yeah I'm expecting a few more Turkish entries in perhaps the last couple of years uh just because yes. of Eurovision again a lot of classics and a lot of a lot of new discoveries like there were a lot of songs that have come up particularly in the uh, more retro contests where it's just like, oh, wow, this one's amazing. And like, I, w- I would have had no context for it otherwise. Voting begins on Monday, November 9th. Get those ballots in. Uh, we-, we will definitely be tweeting that out and spreading the word on that once it goes live. That is the end of the news desk. A couple of weeks ago, I wasn't sure what we were going to talk about. But what was nice is that it gave us a chance to kind of dive into what other Eurovision media is there? I don't know about you. Even outside of the context of like this current election, the last few like presidential elections, my strategy has just been like, all right, I'm going to early vote if that's available or vote as early in the day as possible. And then just kind of shut myself off from social media, live TV news coverage, all of that. Usually just go to the movie theater and watch a whole bunch of movies in a row. And that's not really an option this year. So no, it's, like, not, it's not an option this year. Yeah. So like trying trying to find other ways to escape without falling into mm-hmm. like Twitter. So <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, yeah. And like on my side in 2016, I went to a friend's election party and nope the heck out of there. Oh, uh, yeah. A couple hours in because I was getting real stressed out and did not want to be in a room with other people mm-hmm. now we'll be just like potentially programming myself a bunch of movies from the criterion channel 
or mm. reading a lot of books. Yes. It depends on what I will have the focus for. Yes. Yes. So we thought it would be a good idea to maybe try to find some alternate media that has some sort of Eurovision connection, some mm-hmm. more directly connected than others. And we have some books and movies that might be of interest to you. On the book side of things, it's an interesting space in that Eurovision books tend to be on the nonfiction side. Mm. And for this, I ended up reading something on the fiction side, which we have talked about books using Eurovision as like the fictional basis for something mm-hmm. back in episode 31. Ugh. So way back there. Were we ever so young? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we apparently were. Uh, but yeah, we, we were discussing Catherine Valente's space opera. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting attempt to kind of mesh the mechanics of the Eurovision Song Contest and like a clear love of the author of, of everything Eurovision is with Douglas Adams-esque sort of space drama in that mm-hmm. between planets there is a, a Eurovision every year essentially and Earth was finally invited. Yes. That's the most major release book-wise. A fiction book that involves a Eurovision element. Mm-hmm. Looking on Amazon there's also a few other options and a few weeks ago uh, one of the books popped up and was free on Amazon. Uh, so that's how I ended up reading Three Minutes of Eternity by Alon Amir. Let me give you the full title that it is Three Minutes of Eternity, a uniquely staged adventure based on real events of the famous song contest, the Eurovision. Okay. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was promised that I would get a look at the behind the scenes secrets of Eurovision stars and glimpses into the political intrigue in Israel surrounding the competition, corruption, romance, and off camera. Oh. Um... Okay. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you may be you may you may be saying Ben, that's not really a sentence, and you are correct. What questions do you have about this book, Mike? Is it about a specific contest, or like what is the story kind that, of that it's based on? That felt slightly questionable to me. Azerbaijan is the country hosting the contest, which made me think, ah, yes, it's 2012. Mm-hmm. But there's a mention of a Conchita-esque performer, where I'm just like, okay, so it might not actually be. 2012 and like the the artist that's being followed is definitely not israel's 2012 person mm-hmm. when did the book come out yeah the book was published in 2018 oh, oh okay. although, although although i'm not sure if that was the book itself or like an english version of the book okay there's how the book described itself how would you describe it it wants to do two things and i'm not sure it's i, I think in trying to split itself it's not quite doing either of them great because again it sort of promises in its promo that you're going to get to see all of the cd hijinks mm-hmm. all of the backstage this is how eurovision really is is it like just like this, this is like a romanoclef of of somebody who has been on the in the delegation and this is what they saw behind the scenes mm-hmm. and that's going to be just sort of like kind of that over the top salacious sort of a deal about 60% of the way into the book there's a kidnapping plot Okay. And and for like a brief moment, it wants to be like an action adventure novel. It is very clear that this person did not have a good time in in Baku, Azerbaijan. If they were part of the Israeli delegation, Israel did not qualify that year. So um, that that, that would put a damper on things. That would put a damper on things. They refer to Baku a number of times with a, a nickname that we could not say on air if if we were airing on an actual station. Oh, all right. Um Yeah, yeah, like there are there are attempts at humor in the book where I think that there there's just a different culture's humor okay. than I'm used to because I kind of found it in poor taste. Mm, interesting. There's like a reference that's clearly Kiara and it's making kind of a crack about her weight that I did not find mm. great. Okay. Yeah, there's just, just a lot of things that maybe go, oh. On the other hand, it mentions multiple times that Eurovision is not a political contest, and I have noted every time in my copy with the word drink. 
<laughs> did you drink did it help you get through the book faster <laughs> um, I, like this book is called three minutes of eternity and it felt like an eternity to get through it i'm a pretty mm. fast reader there's a moment in the book with the whole kidnapping plot which again as i said starts about 60 percent of the way in it's resolved by like about 70 72 percent of the book it wait it's a relative blip and i feel like if you had reordered some of the sections so that the kidnapping plot sort of develops along with the main plot because it jumps around in time okay but in a way that sort of like jerks you around hmm Okay. It's just like, it's it's March now. But it's like, but we were just in May. Mm, okay. Looking at fiction that uses this as a background, you have this, and then there's also another, what appears to be like self-published novel of, in like a mystery series, B.B. Bollinger, mm-hmm. who, whose good friend Bonnie Tyler is going to the Eurovision. <laughs> where, where, yes. Yeah, like I, I, I've not read that one. Oh. If that one pops up for free on Amazon, I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely yeah. scooping it up. Yeah, uh, please let me know when that happens. <laughs> well, we'll do. Uh, but yeah, like... Where Eurovision is a backdrop for some sort of action-adventure spy novel sort of a deal. Going back to this, the most salacious of details is that it sort of suggests that various delegations are literally bribing one another for the juries to give things 12 points. <laughs> yeah, like that, that Like that was the big reveals are that Baku smells like gasoline and there's just like a bunch of paola happening with the juries. Oh, that sounds fun uh <laughs> yeah yeah like i felt like i was reading fanfic okay. i felt like i was reading someone's fanfic and like if this was on ao3 or another site i probably would have gone this is not what i expected at chapter 20 and this like noped out yeah. but I, I i was committed to the cause yeah all right so would you recommend this or um that was a very long pause yeah. <laughs> um and i think that says a lot it was a book i read yeah and I did complete my reading goal for the year with this book. All right. Yeah. So yeah, time to spare. Go me. Yeah. 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 We, we, yeah. With like a couple of months to spare so I can, can crush it. I hesitate to recommend this book. Okay. But I think that there is a space for someone to write a novel, set it like a Eurovision-esque sort of a deal. The bit of the kidnapping and like it tries to get a turn where it's actually very funny why they got kidnapped, mm-hmm. which that's a very difficult needle to thread. There is totally space for... A miscongeniality style novel of like that. That's why somebody has replaced the Montenegrin entry because there's a plot uh, where it, where it's like actually funny and it's like that nice blend of comedy and and action. I would love that. My review is I had an okay time and I'm not sure I would recommend it. Uh, but looking at some of the other reviews, I feel like they did not actually read the book. Okay. Uh, the people the people reviewing the book are Anne Marie David, Eurovision Eurovision winner for Luxembourg in 1973. Hmm. Singer Cheryl Baker of Bucks Fizz, just so that we just just because <laughs> we now we are we yeah. are we are obligated to mention Bucks Fizz on the program, mm-hmm. who mentions that that the author is completely utterly utterly passionate about the Eurovision Song Contest and Eurovision artists. What he doesn't know about Eurovision isn't worth knowing. He's a great storyteller. Tells me nothing about the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mira Awad, uh, Israel's entrant from 2009, is apparently the person who told him to just write the book. Okay, it was an experience. Eurovision is like a tricky thing to set fiction at because you either want to write something that appeal is is that your your Eurovision audience knows too much mm-hmm. about the details and is going to be very critical about those and your general audience might just be coming in for like the fun action adventure thing right. or or their spy novel and does not want to read a 20 minute chapter about the voting. Yes. <laughs> It's all about the so process. It, yeah. Yes. It does not surprise me that most of the books available for Eurovision are on the nonfiction side of things. Mm-hmm. 
you have the official guides that Eurovision has put out. I think the most recent one is from 2008 because mine has a nice shiny holographic Lordy on the cover. Ah. Yes. Those you can get off of eBay for right. like a buck. In addition to that, you have fan written compendiums like uh, This is Sweden Calling, other things like that of other people who before we had Wikipedia compiled all of these things. I have one that finds the, the kooky moments from each year up until when Conchita won. Okay. That is about it. It's about 2014 is like the most recent any sort of official guide where you have the tables of here's all the entrants and here's mm, their points. Yeah. Well, I mean, Wikipedia really has proven has to be just a more valuable taken, resource for that. Taken, yeah. yeah, exactly. You don't need to make a book every year. Right. Uh, anymore. You can, but it's no longer an easy way to print money. Mm-hmm. I found one travel guide in the Amazon section titled Just Enough Ukrainian for Eurovision. <laughs> and it was very sad to find out that there were not things like Just Enough Portuguese for Eurovision, Just Enough Dutch for Eurovision. Mm. Uh, that that book probably would have been helpful uh, a couple of years ago, but we, we mm-hmm. managed to make do. My husband did Ukrainian Duolingo and uh, got through a very complicated sandwich transaction. Very proud of that moment. So. <laughs> Uh, and then one book that I picked up off of eBay like last year and still want to sit down and spend some quality time with because it, it's different from these other books is there's a book called No Point, mm-hmm. and it is the author going and it, it seems be, to be written kind of like travelogue style or in like the Bill Bryson style of travel thing oh. where he's going and following up with people who got zero points and just sort of seeing how they're doing, what their life is like. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And like that's that's the like could be a different perspective on things. Those are the majority of like the nonfiction books. And then like the other one that I kind of want to dive into more just as a person who listens to you're wrong about and sees how much they find interesting in the memoirs that were published at the time to sort of capitalize on a, a certain level of fame. There's like at least a handful of Eurovision participants who have hastily released a memoir. Mm-hmm. I actually read one of them. Being Conchita, We Are Unstoppable. As told to Daniel Oliver Bachman, it's a very breezy read. I would say it probably should have been more of a in-depth magazine profile than a book. <laughs> there are several... Webster defines this as oh, blah, no. blah, blah in the book. Oh, and, oh boy. Just, I mean, like the, just the padding out of the term paper. Yeah, yeah. But it is Conchita, and the author does a fantastic job of capturing Conchita's voice i can hear conchita relaying all of these stories uh so that that's making it enjoyable and yeah and there are also some like gorgeous photo inserts throughout the book and uh, again that is also part of the padding out of the term paper but there's surprisingly little eurovision content though uh which i'm not sure i'd say i'm disappointed but eurovision doesn't really get mentioned until chapter 10 and i should mention that some chapters are two paragraphs but um (laughs) Yeah, all books. But talking about Eurovision and just being very matter of fact about it and just being like, oh, yeah, I went and did my performance. It went really well. Everything worked out in the end. The second half of the book is more about all of the opportunities that Eurovision was kind of a stepping stone towards. So getting to work with like a whole bunch of different people in the fashion industry and different artists and photographers and getting the message about acceptance and equality out there and just being like a spokesperson for progress. I think we all know how awesome Conchita is and this book just kind of reaffirms that and yeah, it, it's it's a very short read, like it's only like 175 pages, so and so, again, so again it could have been like a very special issue of people. 
Yeah, yeah. And I would recommend it. It like it it would be good if uh for like if you were taking like <laughs> when we can go on planes again. It's a it's a great like airport read. Like if you're looking for like deep Eurovision insight, there's no real backstage chatter or anything like that no hot goss which i think is what i really wanted and like that's why you're yeah. coming that's why you're coming to the the, the hastily produced memoir mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is you want the hot goss about the thing that we know the person for yeah i guess that is also kind of brand conchita where it's just like just going to speak favorably of everybody so i would recommend it don't go in with high expectations and you can possibly pick it up at your local library that's what i did so <laughs> Doing the library research for this one, I was like, what is available if I type Eurovision into my local card catalog? Mm-hmm. And it turns out more than I expected. Yeah, I mean, that uh, that was what but... kind of kicked off this whole episode. <laughs> so... Elsewhere in the in the memoir space, uh, Slavko from Montenegro in 2017 also has a book that came out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has not been released in English, so mm-hmm. I, I... And, like, my Montenegrin is rusty at best. <laughs> and... I would love to know more. And like, I looked at, I looked at the Goodreads page and like two people have rated it and they have rated it a one star. Mm. So eh. similar to the Conchita book, it's, it's 118 pages, something that's about the size of a special double issue of Us Weekly. Yeah. Yeah. In length, lots of pictures. Yeah. And I mean, also have to consider they were both very young when those books came out like not not super young like they weren't Mm -hmm. teenagers or anything but it's like right but like but like a whole life lived quite yet not a whole lot to memoir about yes but uh but yeah like i but yeah so i i cannot confirm or deny what kind of hot goss is in the slavka book okay fingers crossed an english version will be available well, you were focusing mainly on books. I spent this weekend doing a lot of watching of movies. There are a surprising number of Eurovision adjacent movies, uh, documentaries, fiction films. One documentary that I'm pretty sure we've talked about before on the show, uh, Sounds Like Teen Spirit, uh, which is about the 2007 Junior Eurovision Song Contest, uh, which happened to take place in Rotterdam. It also has a number of grown-up Eurovision alumni, uh, Navina from Serbia, who was part of the group in 2013 and represented serbia in 2019 uh she was a contestant at that junior eurovision the group ogin uh they weren't known as ogin at that point but they represented the netherlands at junior eurovision 2007 and then as adults in 2017 and frida sanden uh who represented sweden at the junior eurovision song contest her sister is molly sanden the woman who provided the vocals for fire saga so yeah that's a interesting time capsule uh i do kind of want to go back and rewatch that one because i watched it very early in my eurovision upbringing and like to see how how it hits differently now i ended up yesterday needing a break from reading the book mm-hmm. i was reading going to my my youtube watch later where i've had Naked Eurovision, which is this BBC special from 1998 when they hosted mm-hmm. in there since we watched the 1998 contest. Now is the time to do this. Yes. Who knows when this is going to like no longer be on YouTube. Let's just do it. And there was like an interesting level of tie in with what I had been reading in that mm. I feel like both this special and Three Minutes of Eternity set out to kind of show behind the scenes mm-hmm. on some level, but also specifically reflect the tone of of their author. In, in ways that are both good and bad. Mm. In watching this, I was like, oh, this these are all of the seeds about how the BBC feels about Eurovision. Okay. Terry Wogan does not appear, but you can kind of just feel his presence mm. in, in that it's chatting about, can you believe all these people want access to this? 
It's like, yes, yes, I can. Yeah. And like, there's, there's like moments like that in the book where it's just like, can you believe that all these blogs that nobody reads want to, want to ask questions to people? Yes. Yes, I can. Let people love what they love. (laughs) Let people like what they like. Uh, Uh, There's like, on the other hand, like there's some very charming, like Vox Pops in Birmingham of people who are just so excited that all these different people have come to Birmingham of all places. Mm Mm-hmm. I spent like two thirds of the special going, who is the host? Why do they feel familiar? It's hosted by one half of right said Fred. Huh? Yes. Wow. And I, that sent me into like a whole weird spiral of like, did right said Fred turn into a TV presenter? And the answer is mostly shrug because he, he did, because he was just sort of the person that's like the on camera person for this. There's just some moments that feel very 1998 because there's a lot of time spent with uh, Dana International, which makes sense because she would go on to win. Mm-hmm. And I looked at when this came out, and it w- it came out in December 1998. So this is after they had hosted. Okay. I assume they probably spent time with a bunch of the contestants that were rated highly to win. But like, there's some moments that feel very 1998, both at, both in fashion and just in like, oh, this is how we did TV documentaries then. And like, okay. that was, I feel like that was more informative and illuminating about behind the scenes stuff than the book i read was okay because there's like some great backstage shots of like this is how we loaded all of malta's candles onto the stage mm. i just remember twitter going nuts over gildo when we rewatched 1998 oh right and just getting to see one half of right said fred be absolutely captivated by the dress rehearsal yeah <laughs> and of and of, and of just like yeah, like most countries just send like an attractive person and like Germany's sending this and this is really cool. Yeah. Great news. 2020 also agrees. Yeah. We love Gildo. That's nice. Check it out. It's it's a very nice slice of 1998. I'm always here for that. The other documentary that I watched was available on Amazon Prime. It's called Monster Man. And it's a documentary about Mr. Lordy of Finland's Lordy. It's about life after winning Eurovision. Lordi returns to Finland. They're treated as national heroes. Uh, they appeared on Late Night with Conan O'Brien when they kicked off their 2008 world tour in the U.S. They were a big deal for a little while. And they like opened Lordi's Rockdorant. Sort of like a hard rock cafe. With, <laughs> I was about like, to say, is yeah. it a hard rock cafe, but it's Lordy? Yeah, pretty much. Had like a 3.5 star review on Yelp, from what I could find. Um, the, oh, good. The, yeah, one of the reviews uh, complimented the decor. Uh, said it could be like if you uh, get kind of grossed out a little easily, because it is a lot of like goth heavy, like heavy, heavy metal uh, type decoration and stuff. And they said the food was good. Like they're just like, yeah, they knew that it was kind of a gimmicky restaurant, but like they needed to deliver on the food and they did. Yeah, they had calzones. It sounded nice. Uh, but the movie... <laughs> so, so it's like, if I'm going to the Lordy Thai restaurant, I at least want, I want the food to be decent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the movie opens at the closing of the Rock Durant. Like, oh, no. Yeah. I was... Or, I was Okay, I'm going to very quickly erase that from my to-dos in Helsinki. Yeah, yeah. So, and the movie kind of documents the year or so between the commercial failure of uh, the band's fourth album, Babes for Breakfast, and the lead-up to uh, the release of their fifth album, To Beast or Not To Beast. It gets into some really interesting kind of processy stuff uh, with a heavy metal band, like working with a label navigating unexpected lineup changes and like the sort of business decisions that you have to make if 
like you are the winner of eurovision and still need to book gigs and it's like well do i do this other reality show and uh i think this came out early in the 20 teens so it was still kind of a iffy proposition to kind of transition to like the family entertainment and uh yeah lordy did end up going on to a show called clash of the choirs where it's like different artists with a choir behind them doing covers of songs and it's a voting competition kind of a sing-off but it wasn't acapella in a way mm-hmm. um and yeah just uh just trying just trying to make it as an act that can come across as super gimmicky um mm-hmm. and it's interesting in that like heavy metal is just not in my wheelhouse at all so i'm not i'm i have a feeling i wasn't getting the full experience of it just because Mm -hmm. i I don't have the vocabulary of that genre of music and i think people who are really into heavy metal might get a little bit more out of the movie the presentation's a bit film schooly like just different different shots and motifs and it just feels very staged in a number of ways but it, it does capture some like real moments as well you get to meet Mr. Lordy's mom, who seems like a really cool lady. She's just very supportive of her son and like super, super chill. And I love a supportive heavy metal mom. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if you look at her, like you would not expect that like her son is Mr. Lordy at all. She just seems like a mom, but like she, mm-hmm. she like goes, goes to like all of their gigs and it's just like, Oh yeah. Do you want me to make sandwiches for the band? Like that, <laughs> that sort of thing. So um, yeah. And, and the documentaries, it's only an hour, so it's, it's not a huge time commitment. And I think for the process elements, I would recommend this movie in terms, in terms of the overall story, it's fine, but I don't think it would be an hour wasted. You have sold me like I'm, I'm absolutely adding that to my prime list yeah and we'll have a link to that uh in in the show notes also available on prime heading to the fiction movies uh the apple is still on prime uh and you can yes watch it's it. still so- on prime <laughs> it occasionally goes away but it will come back again my friends yeah. <laughs> yeah. um and we're not going to go into detail now because because um, we already we already did that on yeah, the show yeah but we'll link to that episode as well um you can get ben's how, how would yeah, you describe it, your relationship with the- <laughs> Um, I mean, is it a good film? No. Is it it an entertaining film? Yes. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There were uh, two other movies uh, that came up in Eurovision searches. Uh, One that had been on my radar for a while is Souvenir. Uh, came out, I think it was initially released in 2016 and then kind of got more of a stateside presence in uh, 2017. Let me read the description from the back of the DVD. Thank you, Chicago Public Library, for uh, having this available. Lillian, Isabelle Huppert, lives a modest and monotonous life. By day, she works in a pate factory, and by night, she sits on the couch and watches TV. One day, a new worker named Jean, Kevin Azaz, arrives. The two form a platonic relationship, but Jean grows increasingly convinced that he recognizes Lillian from a European singing contest he saw as a child. Eventually, Jean convinces Lillian to confront her past. Souvenir is a beautiful portrayal of a friendship between two people from different generations who come together to make a life-changing comeback. Now, up until the part where it says uh, she encounters a new co-worker, that's all true. Everything after that is completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Unless platonic means something different in France, it's a May-December romance movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
I'm just going back and forth on this movie where it's, even though it was released in uh, 2016, it takes place 2004-ish. Uh, they, they make references several times to it being about 30 years after ABBA won this European uh, song contest, uh, which I think works. Uh, and, and it's a clever story decision because France did not compete in 1974. So it allows for some like plausible shenanigans i guess uh, yes in, in making that work and it also like solves the age problem that fire saga had where like seagreet would be at best pushing 50 and still being like i want to have a kid <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the story kind of falls apart instantly uh because well no because i mean like as i said it's a like a may december romance but jean is 22 in the movie, which would have made the contest that Lillian appeared in, uh, she performed under the name Laura. It would have been like eight to ten years before he was born. So, like that, that part is confusing, and there's a lot of character, a lot of character beats that just do not make sense, and conflict that erupts out of nowhere. And yeah, so like, what's driving the drama of the film? Just it either isn't all that interesting or just does not make sense the music in the movie is really pleasant it feels very french at your very france at eurovision (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like i assume that this was a very french film because the main character works at the pate factory yeah yeah i mean like it it starts out great like you tell that the director has uh seen a number of like wes anderson movies like there's a lot of like geometry and color blocking and i was on board almost instantly it was just like a very visually pleasing movie i really like isabelle Huppert. like she just has this mm-hmm. charisma about her where it's like yeah i'm just gonna watch probably anything that you're in even that what was that weird movie uh where like was it chloe grace moretz uh like returns her purse and then like it turns into like a psychological thriller or something i only saw the trailer for that <laughs> but it's just like isabel Huppert, you get yours <laughs> make that money yes get that trade that was uh part of my notes uh with regards to the platonic relationship that <laughs> to is... the pl- to the platonic relationship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah uh, if anybody can pr- arrange a platonic relationship with me and tom lieb uh Again, you're a what podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> you're a what podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Platonic relationship. Yes. Um, so the songs in, in the movie, uh, and there's only a, a, a couple that are prominent in the film. There's the one that uh, she performed uh, called Souvenir uh, at the 1974 contest. And they did a really good job of creating a track that felt very... 1974 eurovision like i i think it would have fit right in with the rest of that field and yeah they also do this like sort of retro performance like you could see video of of her performing uh at this and it's like okay that that was really cool and then uh the song that is the centerpiece of her big comeback is called uh jolie garçon and i didn't really care for the performance in the movie like i it didn't make sense the way that it was being performed for like the audience to go gaga over it. Mm-hmm. It's a song by a group called Pink Martini, which is this uh, world music collective uh, based out of Portland. It's an American band. And there was a performance that they did for WNYC that was just so lively and really reminded me of um, Passe Partout from 
Portugal's selection process this year, the one that was kind of like yeah, the French no, oh, nice. Broadway number. And it's like, oh, where was that performance? That would have been perfect for this. And yeah, but if anything, this movie has me really excited for the French selection process for 2021 um, because the host of the selection show in the movie was so savage. <laughs> And uh, like he's telling like some teenager who was getting booed off of the stage uh, in the semifinal. It's like, oh, yeah, you could try again next year and be like, oh, man, France is back. (laughs) And uh, also say like, oh, and now uh, rising like a phoenix and crawling out of the ashes. Here's Laura. (laughs) It's just like, oh, man, (laughs) I cannot wait for France to come back. (laughs) So. If anything, it's it feels like a good appetizer for um, selection season 2021. So I definitely recommend it for that. And even though the story doesn't really hold up, Isabel Huber is doing a really good job. You can tell she's having a lot of fun in this performance. So souvenir. And then the other movie, which uh, Ben, you tipped me off about this one. I had yes. no idea that it existed. That Yeah, because it was the one thing that popped up in my library search for Eurovision that I had never heard of. Yeah, uh, it's called Cupcakes. Uh, it's from Israel. It came out in 2013. It was either 2013 or 2015. There's that made... It's another one of those things where it was where it is a foreign film which means that it probably had one release date in its mm. country. And then by the time it got over here, it was 2015. Yes. Yes. So uh, in this one, it's uh, set in contemporary Tel Aviv. Six diverse best friends gather to watch the wildly popular Universe Song competition. <laughs> Appalled by the Israeli entry, they decide to create their own and record it on a mobile phone. Unbeknownst to them, their performance is seen by the Universe Song judges and selected as Israel's entry for next year's competition. I was surprised by how much i enjoyed this movie you could tell that there was affection for the subject material but it kept in mind just how low stakes everything was like nobody participating in this project is treating it be like oh this is universe song this is everything it's just like (laughs) i mean the whole conceit is just like the guy submitted their video kind of like as a joke just be like oh yeah they'll never select this and then it gets selected everybody else in the group didn't even know it was submitted uh so Mm -hmm. like the rest of act one is just them being like finding out that they are now israel's representative (laughs) for eurovision (laughs) or universe song and it seemed like it was poking a lot of fun at other aspects of previous Israeli representatives. I'm particularly thinking of Ping Pong, uh, the group that we okay, talked about. Okay, yeah, because like I, re- I read, yeah. I was surprised that this movie came out in like 2013 because I just assumed it was like early 2000s. Like this is like the unofficial story of Ping Pong. Yeah, yeah, but I was like, you could definitely get the vibe. Like they even explicitly mentioned the part where it's like, oh yeah, you could change your performance, but if you do, we're not paying for your trip. So it's, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of charm to the movie, and I also found out that there's apparently a line dance that goes with hallelujah i don't know why i'm only that, finding out about that that, now. Do, that does not surprise me at all yeah yeah it's, it's just, a very line danceable song mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah so uh that that was fun but i think what's also interesting about this is it was released at the beginning of kind of israel's wandering through the wilderness in the early part of the 2010s so mm-hmm. i don't think anybody would have expected that Israel would be hosting the contest at the end of the decade, like based, based on how the, this uh, movie was written and performed. It was just like, Oh yeah. Yeah. We're just trying to get back on track and not be like, 
continually underwhelmed. It's like, oh no, you're mm-hmm. going to win in like four or five years. And... Well, and like, well, and like thinking of thinking of three minutes to eter- three minutes of eternity mm-hmm. of eternity, not to eternity. Yeah. Um, like that one also was making a big deal that like Israel had not qualified for five years, mm. so this artist had felt like a lot of pressure on them. Okay on themselves yeah 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 like there, there was none of that and again i think the song that's the centerpiece of it it's fine i i was kind of <laughs> underwhelmed by it but again like i feel like i feel like the music on on and like anything involving a eurovision-esque contest has to be difficult it yeah and i think that's where fire saga really did a good job of threading the needle like i, th- mm-hmm. I think they did come up with some legitimate entry legitimate like yes yeah. yes not to go back to three minutes of eternity again but like it really skips around describing the song mm. like the plot points that the book hits are we have not qualified in five years and azerbaijan has an open border with iran okay. like those are the those are the two yeah which yikes there's like mentioned that like the artists got selected and like they have they have to pull together the song in a month mm. and we get the only detail we get is that it's an up-tempo song that's it and that like the performer when they're doing their grand final performance just like essentially just like goes into a fugue state does not remember the moment yeah (laughs) conchita mentioned that so (laughs) which i i I buy that i buy that that like when you are on that big of a stage in a final like that and like you have momentum Mm -hmm. i think that would be an interesting topic to explore at some point is like the fictional eurovision songs and seeing how they stack up against one another but uh, yeah, the last movie to talk about is one that hasn't actually come out yet, but it's one that Paul, one of our collaborators from the Eurostream project this spring, uh, brought to my attention. Kind of coincidentally, I happened to be in a like both a Portugal uh, space and a early 80s space. And uh, there's a movie coming out at the end of this month called Bembalm. Uh, which is about the group Dose, which is a Portuguese girl group, one of the first ultra successful girl groups in Europe. And it's a biopic about them. And uh, Bembom is a reference to their 1982 uh, Eurovision entry. And if you've not heard that song, it is such a bop. Yeah, I, I feel like we should be talking about that one more because <laughs> it's it's just so joyful. And they're like wearing these like cowgirl costumes, but have this like really great choreography that goes along with it. They, they do the clapping thing, which is uh, like, as we all know, clap alongs are instant success at Eurovision. We, so <laughs> we, we love to clap. Yes. We love to clap. Yes. That one is scheduled to come out November 26. So um Okay, so you're saying that like at the end of the month I I will be able to to say play Yaya Bembom. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps. That's uh one to keep an eye out for. No word of that's ever going to make it stateside. I think there was a stateside version of Bembom uh that was released mm-hmm. but I I don't think it like rocketed up the charts or anything like that. So, uh, right. Well, and like just thinking of of other movies on the horizon. At some point, a song called "Hate" is is mm-hmm. is dropping. Like it keeps doing film festivals. Yeah. And hopefully, at some point, it will be in a place where I can stream it. Yeah. There's a lot of movies and books out there. Just so that... a lot of ways to keep busy and yeah, and, and distracted. sort of dive into so, your vision. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the EuroWhat. Thank you for listening. The EuroWhat podcast is hosted by Mike McComb. That's me. And Ben Smith. That's me. You can subscribe to the EuroWhat on the podcast app of your choice. When you subscribe, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing and help other Eurovision fans find us. 
You can contact us through our website at eurowhat.com and on social media at eurowhat. Next time on the Eurowhat, Thanksgiving approaches, so of course we'll need to talk about Turkey. See you in a couple weeks.